Praise God. You, as you take a seat, say hi to those around you, near you. Just let them know you see them. Praise God. We are, we are indeed living in a day and time where we have to be more aware and dependent on the Holy Spirit and less on our natural self and feelings. We have to. Well, listen, we are so thankful you're with us today. So glad to see all of you here in person. Those of you that are participating with us this morning online, we just say hi, welcome. We are going to carry on with with a series that we're in called, it's just, we're in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapters 6 through 8, if time allows, and uh, today. But um, we've We've just been kind of taking a couple of chapters each week and really looking at the spirit of, of Acts. Is the, is the God who did what he did then is the same God who is working today. Same God working today. And he wants to work as he did then. He, as he did then, he wants to work through yielded followers today. It's about being yielded. It's not about being perfect. It's about being yielded. It's not about having all your ducks in a row before God can use you. It's about being yielded. When, you, when you're yielded to the Lord, He, he has a way of keeping your, our hearts soft and pliable and able to trust us with His will and with His ways flowing in our life and, and um, in our own responsibilities of life that we're a part of and then in the great commission of of life that he calls all of us to join, to go into all the world and preach the good news and make disciples of other people. And so we see that throughout the entire book of Acts as the church got its start and then, and then moving forward through the remainder of the New Testament. But last week we talked about finding purpose. Today I want to talk to you and minister on the, the idea of living on purpose living on purpose. It's one thing to find something that you need, but it's a whole other thing to actually take that thing you found and use it. What You know what I'm saying? You find your car keys that you need, but if you never go into your car and use the key to start it and drive somewhere, what's the point of having the car keys? What's the point of having the vehicle? You know what I'm saying? So we find our purpose but then we are also then called to then take that and live it and live with what God has called us to live. And so it's kind of subtitle, I put distributing food and desert roads. And we'll kind of get into what that means. Acts 6 through 8 is where we're hanging out today. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary purpose. Ordinary. Just say to yourself, I'm ordinary. Nothing wrong with that. I'm ordinary. The Bible's full of all ordinary people. I'm ordinary, but when God touches our life, our life becomes extraordinary. I don't mean famous. I don't mean you're going to be multimillionaire rich. If you are, praise God. Keep tithing. The Lord is good. We'll move on with what God has and accomplish more. 
But I just mean God is extraordinary in who He is, and He's looking for us to yield our ordinary lives to Him. And when we yield our ordinary lives to Him, He uses our ordinary life in an extraordinary way, and in a very extraordinary way. There's a lot going on in these three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, and I kind of need to give you a, a, a short background intro to this because um, the, the early church has been it, it established, it was started, and it was growing, and, and great and mighty awesome things were happening. And, uh, but, but then, just like in anything, when God's working, uh, the enemy also works and tries to disrupt what God tries to accomplish. But we know the end game, God wins. The kingdom of God flourishes. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Unfortunately, not everybody um, says yes to that. But it's our goal, our aim, our mission, as long as we have breath in our lungs, we're able to move and have our being in Him. We're called to reach people for the Lord. And we're called to make disciples, followers of Christ. And that, that's, that's who we are. It's what we're called to do. But there's things going on in the background. Um, there's discontent in the church already. There's disruption in the streets. Uh, there's dysfunction in the religious sect. There's the, dis, uh, the uh, dispersing of the believers happening in these three chapters. There's a lot going on, and take a moment to just define what, what, what each of those are talking about. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. There was discontent in the church. Nonetheless, that good things were happening. said the believers were rapidly multiplying. Lots of people coming to Jesus. On the heels of all these miracles and these signs and these wonders and these amazing things were happening. People coming to the Lord in the droves. And man, it's just awesome. But yet somebody was getting their feelings hurt in the church. I, I know nobody here ever gets, gets their feelings hurt. Uh, Pastor doesn't, he never gets his feelings hurt. Say that tongue in cheek. But believers coming to the Lord in a rapid, multiplying way, and there was someone, a group of people who were getting their feelings. There was hard feelings over the food, over the money, over the resources. There was this one portion of people who didn't think they were getting their food equally like the other portion of people. And the, the, never mind that the apostles were working night and day, uh, doing all they could, but they were falling behind and uh, leading people and teaching people and praying for people and doing all these things. And, but there, there was discontent in the church in the midst of people, the church, finding its purpose. There was disruption in the streets. I look at uh, verse 9, it says, One day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him, that Stephen, started to debate with Stephen, and they were, they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. So what was going on was there was these people, this people group from the synagogue of also known as freedmen. They were a pagan cult um, who followed a Roman myth, myth um, mythical hero called Liber, where we get the word liberty from. Uh, they were also known as the Libertines. And they boasted their freedom from all moral law, and they emphasized uh, drunkenness and promiscuity. Um, and they boasted that their freedom 
from all the moral laws, then they were free basically to do whatever they wanted to do, whatever they desired to do. And, and so they were having this debate in the streets, and these libertines, they're the exact, they are the antithesis of what true freedom in Christ Jesus brings to a person's life. And so they were causing this disruption out in the streets at this time. There was dysfunction in the religious sect. Look at verse 11. I'm just kind of setting this up with a background, kind of what's going on in, in their day and time. Um, these, these guys, this pagan group from, from that synagogue, what they did, verse 11 says, they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, hey, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God, and, and here's what happened. It said, this roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. Then on over in chapter 7, verse 54, it says, these Jewish leaders were so infuriated by Stephen's accusations that they shook their fist at him in rage. They arrested what we would now later find in the New Testament, a deacon named Stephen, uh, under false accusations. And uh, they already had their mind made up. This religious group had their mind made up on what they accused him of, and he could not even stand before them and, and, and defend himself uh, back to these people, back to the religious sect. And it said they were infuriated. The passion translates it this way, they violent rage filled their souls. We're talking about Jewish leaders, religious leaders. It said violent rage filled their souls. The message translates it this way, they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective, vehement insults and abusive words. Could you imagine a church doing that today? A religious church doing that today because someone, they said, said something false. Well, that, I mean, that kind of stuff is happening around our world. It may not happen here exactly like that, but this kind of stuff happens. There's dysfunction in the religious sect. And then, by the time you get to chapter 8, there's dispersing of the believers. Let's look at that. Verse 1 says, A great wave of persecution began that day. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all believers except the apostles were scattered. They were dispersed through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Persecution swelled up against the church. First time major this way happened. The Greek word for church, as it was written, is ekklesia, which means the gathering of believers called out from their homes into a public worship setting together. So when you hear the word church in the New Testament, it's ecclesia, which means basically the called out ones. We're called out of our homes to come together in a public worship setting and worship together, a.k.a. Sunday morning service in most places in America. We're called out to come together. But what happened was they were forced to be scattered they were forced to be scattered and they were no longer able to come together like they had been accustomed to. So you've, all of these things, this discontent in the church, disruption in the streets, dysfunction with the religious sect, the dispersing of the believers, all of these things were happening. And, 
And to an extent, these types of things are continue, have continued to happen throughout time and happen even now in different ways, in different parts of our world. There's always going to be somebody who gets their feelings hurt in church. Not always intentional. The point of today is not to say right or wrong in that. It just happens. It happens to us. There's disruption in our streets. There's always going to be some cause, something out there that tries to create disruption and sway people's attention and sway people's emotion and sway people's convictions a, a certain way. There's always going to be those things going on. It's happening, happened then, it's happening now. It's been happening for a long time. Again, today is not to say that's just or unjust in that. It just happens. There's dysfunction, certainly, across the religious sector of the world. And sadly, but yes, there is the dispersing of saints, the believers, unable to truly gather together in different ways across our world because of persecution that exists. Here's where we want to zero in on, is that these things happen. These things always will happen. But here's what God's looking for. God is looking for his church. God is looking for his believers. God is looking for his yielded followers to yield their ordinary lives to him so that he can use them for an extraordinary purpose. And we're going to look specifically at Stephen and another guy named Philip. These are two of the seven guys who were chosen in Acts chapter 6 to basically serve as deacons in the church. That term wasn't used just yet, hadn't been introduced just yet. Paul introduces that a little later in his writings after Paul gets radically saved. We'll learn about that in the next, I think, next week. And so we see these characteristics that stand out about these ordinary people that God uses in ordinary way, in, in extraordinary ways. And that's what I want to zero in on today. Four characteristics that stand out about these guys. That um, they're ordinary, nothing special about them, just ordinary people who yielded their lives to serve God. And as they yielded their lives to the Lord, God used them in an extraordinary way for an extraordinary purpose. And I believe we can also look at these characteristics as prayer desires that we can have. God, make me like this. That last song we sang, I give you my heart. My, it's my desire to honor you with my life. And that's what God's looking for. That's what God is after because he can use a yielded vessel. He can yield a, 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 a yielded, he can use a yielded vessel in him. So with four characteristics of ordinary people, God uses for ordinary purpose. So that says, hey, there's hope for every single one of us. I don't have to have theological degrees I don't have to have certain standard of education for God to use me. I don't have to have this or that. There are no, the prerequisites are not based on that. The prerequisites, there, I think, have a lot to do with these characteristics that we all should pray, God, make me more like this. Here's the first one. Characteristic of ordinary people God uses for ordinary, extraordinary purpose is they live available and willing. They live their life to be available and willing to the Lord going to go back to Acts 6, verse 3. This is where these four characteristics stem from. So these, uh, the apostles said, hey, you need to choose seven men from among yourselves 
who are well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And then we will give them this responsibility. It says, choose from among yourselves. This indicated that these guys were always around. They stood out. Hey, they're always around, meaning, hey, these guys are available. And these guys are willing to serve in whatever capacity. They lived available and willing. It was recorded of Jesus' words in Matthew 22 that says, Many are called, but few are chosen. There's many all the way around, but just because there's many all the way around doesn't mean the many are always going to be chosen. I think the way we get chosen to be used for God to tap our shoulder, for God to light a bush on fire and it not burn, and it gets our attention to turn and look like Moses, is to just simply live our life in a way that makes ourselves available and willing to the Lord. Maybe the words of the prophet Isaiah echoed over the course of time that said, Here I am, Lord. You can send me. You can use me. And I think that is what God looks for. Are we available? Are we willing to serve God? Are we willing to let God tap us on the shoulder and say, here's what I am calling you to do now. Here is your now moment. Here is your next thing. Here is what there is a need in front of your life. And if we're just yielded to live available and willing to the Lord, then it doesn't matter what it is. We have the heart to serve. And that's where these guys found themselves in that position just because they were available. This, this statement has never left me. I heard it probably, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I heard someone say this, something like this, that it's not because of our inability, and it's not because of our ability, but it is because of our availability to the Lord that he can use us. We all have inability, and we all have some ability, but it's not based on that of inability nor that of ability as much as it is based on I am available. I am available. You see, when you say to the Lord, I am available, God hears those words, and then he's going to put those words to the test and say, are you willing? Are you willing? Just be available. And just be willing. We're talking about living on purpose. I don't care what what age demographic any of us find ourselves in. I don't care where we find ourselves at in life. There is always a purpose attached to every season of our life. There is always a purpose attached to every season of our life. There is something that God wants you to do with the season that you're currently in. There's always a purpose attached to it. Characteristic number two, God using ordinary people for extraordinary purpose is you live in a humble way. You live humble. Now, what, what these, these characteristics, they're right there, verse 3 of chapter 6. I mean, there's nothing like crazy outlandish about them. They're available. They're respected. They're humble. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They have wisdom. That doesn't sound like too hard of an ask. But it sure is hard sometimes to live humble. At least it is for me. 
Sometimes I have a way of thinking I'm better than other people. Shame on me. Right? Shame on me. But man, if I don't humble myself before God, He has a way of humbling me. And I don't like it when He has to humble me. Oh. It's worse than... Yeah, I won't even say it. Live humble. These guys were well respected. They were honorable. They were trustworthy. They, they were, had a good reputation. They just had a humble soul about them. And so what they were, they were tapped for the distribution of food so that the apostles could teach the word of God. Now here's the interesting thing about the connection of the two. The same word for distribution of food is the same word for teaching the word of God. The Greek word. Diakoneia think is how you say it. Diakoneia is the same word for distribution of food as teaching the word of God. It means ministry or service unto others as unto the Lord. Ministry to others, ministry and service to others as unto the Lord. So the way they saw it back then and the way it is supposed to be used today is there is still there is as much importance of teaching the word as it is in serving resources to other people. Both are equally important. To serve food for the stomach is also equally as valuable as serving food, the spiritual food for our spirit. And so that's where they were. They found themselves in, hey, they weren't itching, put me up in front of everybody. Peter, please, put me up, and I've got a word to teach today, man. i got a word to teach today. Give me that Sunday school class. I'll do it. I'll grow your church. They weren't itching for any of that. They were just simply living to be used by the Lord in whatever capacity it was. They were humble people. They were humble beings. So interesting. Let me point out a couple of thoughts here. In chapter 6, verse 15, Stephen had gotten sequestered and he was being questioned and, and all these accusations coming at him, falsely accused, keep in mind, falsely accused. Anybody ever been falsely accused of something? I'm not saying you broke the law, I'm just saying there was just something somebody said you did, but really you didn't do it, or something they said you said, but really you didn't say it. And man, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being falsely accused about something. I mean, I get irate, I get pretty mad. I, I tend to get real defensive, and the Holy Spirit's got some work still to do in me. On that. So, if anything at all, guys, this message is for me today. If anything, I'm preaching straight back at me, all right? I'll go home on YouTube and watch myself preach back to me because I still got a long ways to go. And I'm like, God, are you sure you want me to lead a church? You really, you sure you thought this through? But here, Stephen is falsely accused, standing there. Look at verse 15. It says, At this point, Everyone in the high council, the religious circle, stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as angels. He had the face of an angel in front of all of this hostile environment. My face does not tend to look like an angel when I am being finger-pointed at about things. It's your fault, it's this way, or whatever it is. My face turns more like a devil instead of an angel. I told you this message was for me. There's still hope. 
There's hope for all of us. And Philip, look at Philip. I mean, Philip, God, look at uh, chapter 8, verse 26. It says this. It'll be on the screen. It says, an angel of the Lord told Philip, hey, go to, down that desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we'll talk about what happened on that in a second. A desert road that sounds like it's out of the way. Sounds like it's inconvenient. Oh, I cannot stand to be inconvenienced. I'm just going to tell you that now. As a pastor, I still got a long ways to go, guys. I wish I was humble. I wish I just lived every day to do everything for everybody else. But I am a selfish creature. You probably didn't know that about me, but you do today. Somebody's going to be like, I don't know that I should call him and ask him to pray for me. (laughs) I will promise you this. If you ask me to pray for you, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. I, I write it down, and I will pray for you. I don't want 100 prayer requests after this, though because i got to go home and eat some lunch like you do. You guys okay with this? On a desert road, out in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, all right. He's humble enough to go. Because we're going we're gonna, to, i got to do this quick, because get you get you to this. Here's the thing. If we serve with the right heart and humility, God will always bring honor to our lives. 1 Peter 5 says this. It's the ones who are humble that receive God's grace. And it's the humble ones whose God's mighty hand will exalt in honor at the right time. Okay, so if we serve God and we serve others with the right heart and humility, God always brings honor to our lives. If we are willing to serve regardless of recognition or not by other people, God always takes notice. You ever done anything and you thought, man, nobody sees the stuff I do? You do something for somebody and you're like, man, nobody ever sees me doing anything for good for other people but me. They just don't know, man, all the times I've said yes to other people. But here's what we sometimes forget. God always takes notice. And so if we serve regardless of recognition from others or not, God always sees us. Because the motive is not about being noticed by others. It's just about serving to be available to help other people in whatever capacity that is. And that's what happened with Stephen. It said that Stephen, in uh, chapter 7, verse 56, when he was about to die, it said he told everybody around him, he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Stephen got a standing ovation by Jesus. Because he was humble. Man, that ought to count for something. Jesus will stand up for you when we humble ourselves before him. He always will. I tell you, he always will. There was a time in my life where I was uh, in a legal issue that I can't talk about today. No harm against anybody, but I was falsely accused. And uh, I was scared because I thought I was going to have to pay a lot of money for something I didn't do. And I prayed and uh, got a really good attorney. Thank God somebody got that for me. 
and um, went to court. Attorney said, just sit there and be quiet and let me do my job. After he interviewed me and got all the facts, I said, yes, sir. I was shaking. I was so nervous. He got up and did his thing. It's like something you'd see on TV. You think, man, does that ever stuff really happen? It did here. And he got done, and he said, by the way, Your Honor, and he threw out this thing, and the judge was like, yeah, you're right. Ask the plaintiff, Do you, is that true? Yeah. Case dismissed. The case was dismissed. I was so relieved. I didn't know whether to throw up or jump up. I was so relieved because I was no longer on the hook for whatever it was. And I, that's a true story. And, oh, man, but I just remember telling, praying and, and, and seeking the Lord, like, God, you know what is real. You know my, the intention of what happened. You know the, everything about what went on. He's like, I got you. And there was an amazing person in the church at the time who sent me a message and said, I'm praying this for you. And it had to do with something about justice and accusations and stuff like that. And I just clung to that. I, I don't remember exactly where that verse was. I've tried to find it since then. But it, the way it was worded at the time was perfect for my situation. And, um, and God honored me. God brought me up. God exalted me through that. And I'm so thankful for that. Here's the thing. The humble are the real heroes. I'm not saying that's me. I'm a hero. I'm just saying that's how God looks at it. The humble are the real heroes. I wish I had time for another story, but I don't because it's a good one. I'll tell you another time. Third characteristic, remain full. They live to remain full of the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me? You following me? You going down this desert road? Is it dusty? And Okay. Live to remain full of the Holy Spirit. Man, you'll see that's a common characteristic throughout the entire New Testament as the church discovers their reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit, man, He's the water in our well. The Holy Spirit is the fuel in our tank. You get my drift? The Holy Spirit is the wind in my sails. Somebody need some gas money? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is what fuels our life. The Holy Spirit is always near and dear and present. And they were discovering that. And that's a common characteristic in the New Testament. And certainly with these ordinary guys, these ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways, let's look at how he used them. The Holy Spirit activated the fruit of the Spirit. You can read about that in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit activated the gifts of the Spirit. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. But then specifically in Stephen, the Holy Spirit says in Chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Look at that. That's crazy. Powerful signs, performing miracles. Then in chapter 7, said Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, was able to speak up and stand up for the sake of the gospel. All of chapter 7, you need to read that. Chapter, uh, verse 2 through 53, I think, is Stephen giving his testament 
to the gospel. He goes all the way back to Abraham and brings it all the way back around to Jesus. If you want to just know the brief synopsis, if you've got to write a paper about the gospel, look at that right there. If you're just curious about needing to know the, the time frame and the facts from Abraham, Stephen puts it all in one, mer- one message right there, verse 2 through 53. He stood up for the gospel and explained it so well. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us do. The Holy Spirit gives testament to Jesus, and he helps us as believers to do that. What else happened? At the end of chapter 50, or excuse me, the end of chapter 7, verse 55, said Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God as he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. The Holy Spirit enabled Stephen to endure the hostility that he was facing. It allowed him, the Holy Spirit allowed him to keep calm. The Holy Spirit allowed him to remain steady. The Holy Spirit enabled him and empowered him to speak the truth and to endure the situation. You see, whatever situation you and I may find ourselves in, that kind of been the theme today, James prayed, open our eyes and let us see there is more force than against us. And as Pastor Prentice admonished us, hey, sometimes things don't turn out the way we thought, but we've got to keep our eyes on the right one. Amen. God's working in us and reminding us today that we need to be filled with his Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will help you endure situations. Will help you endure There are things that you just, there are things you can do by the Spirit that you just can't do by the flesh. There are things you can do by the Spirit that you just can't do by the flesh. Philip, look at what Philip did. In verse 5 of chapter 8, it said, Philip went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. He preached in Samaria. He preached to the outcast. He preached to people who were not popular. He preached to people who who were undervalued. He preached to people who others would say they don't deserve the good news. But Philip went there and preached because the Holy Spirit filled his life. In fact, scholars say Philip went to the same city that Jesus went to when in John chapter 4 when he ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that story? And then she went back and told her whole village about Jesus and everybody came running for him. It was noted that perhaps Philip went to that same place and preached to all of Samaria, the outcast, because sometimes the Holy Spirit will move you to talk to somebody, minister to someone, help someone that by the arm of the flesh you normally would not do, but the Spirit prompting, the Spirit leading, the Spirit nudging moves you to do something and to help someone, and to talk to someone that you may not normally do. Then, verse 7, it said this, Many spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. It says, Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Philip, full of the Holy Spirit, performed miracles. Then in verse uh, 13, Philip led Simon the sorcerer to the Lord. It said that Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went and just amazed at what God was doing in his life and how he was using him. Led Simon the sorcerer to Jesus. 
That'd be like going into a hand-reading place, a psychic today, and saying, let me talk to you. I'm going to read your life. The Holy Spirit has a word for you. I've never done that. I don't know if I'll ever do that. But I'm just saying, there this sorcerer was performing magic, and everybody thought that was cool. And he's like, man, I'm more amazed at what God did through you, Philip. I believe in the God you serve, and he was baptized. Philip, full of the Holy Spirit, led a sorcerer to the Lord. Come on. And then, I love this, this part right here. Man, this is so, so cool. We talked about Philip then being told by the angel to go down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then as he's on that desert road, he runs into a traveler on that road who's the treasurer for Ethiopia, a eunuch. An Ethiopian eunuch who's the treasurer for Ethiopia. High-powered, prestigious position, lots of authority, the treasurer. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, Go up beside and walk by his carriage. And as Philip went up and walked beside his carriage, because the Holy Spirit instructed him to, he heard him reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he's like, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the, and the treasurer, Ethiopian treasurer said, I don't. I need somebody to explain it to me. Would you come up and sit with me? Now, we're, this whole thing got started because Philip was led by the Holy Spirit. I love this. Led by the Holy Spirit to do this. So they sat with him. He explained it to them, to him. He ended up believing. He said, there's some water. Can I get baptized? Philip baptized him. I love this part. The Holy Spirit keeps matters of people's hearts the foremost importance. The matters of our hearts. The matters of people's hearts. The Holy Spirit keeps those of the foremost importance. He knows what your heart needs. He knows what the heart of another person needs that he'll use you to help. He'll use you to serve. We're talking about God using ordinary people for extraordinary purpose. And then, man, the, this last part of Philip, verse 39 and 40, it said after he baptized the Ethiopian, the Holy Spirit snatched him away and dropped him in a town a little further north. And then from there, he went on and preached to all the other towns as he reached Caesarea. He got teleported by the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever been teleported? Tell me, please, if you have. I just would love to hear the story. But this joker, Philip, an ordinary guy, got teleported by the Holy Spirit. And then when he got teleported by the Holy Spirit, he dropped him in a town, I guess safely, because it said he walked on and preached to everybody else in all the other towns. He didn't just get dropped on his head. It was like a soft landing. I'm not saying I want to be teleported by the Holy Spirit, but man, if you got teleported by the Holy Spirit, that'd be pretty cool. Philip got teleported by the Holy Spirit. These guys just lived a life to say, fill me today, Holy Spirit. And I think if we just simply pray that and mean that every day, the Holy Spirit will fill our life and God will use us each day in extraordinary ways. Does it, some of those ways, I think, won't even know you were used. You never know 
that if you're driving and you happen to look and see somebody, they happen to look and see, you know, those awkward catches, and you just smile. You have to pull your mask down in your own car, though, to do that for somebody to see it. But you, as a joke, guys, come on. <sighs> Hardy, har, har. And wave and move on. You might not think anything else about it, but they might think, man, there is somebody nice out there today. That is an extraordinary way. It seems pretty elementary to think that can make a difference. My daughters came home this week on Thursday. I was in their music class. They are learning all kinds of really fun, Jesus, energetic, old hymn-type songs in music class. And they had this picture. And we were eating dinner Friday night, and they brought these pictures to the table. And, and, and on one side, they said, Dad, what do you see? And it's a picture of like a, it's, a, it's all pencil drawn and laminated. And it's like, it looks like a little princess smiling. Then they turn it around, and they said, what do you see? And it looks like this old person that has just had the worst life. This, this awful frown on their face. And they were learning about how many muscles it takes to smile and how many muscles in your face it takes to frown. And it got me to thinking, smiling is certainly better than frowning. You heard someone say, turn that frown upside down. I'm, re- I'm talking real deep spiritual stuff here today. I mean, I know these revelations are just... But let's think for a minute. And I'm guilty of this. How fast-paced are we to go from point A to B that we miss? There is a gap of time between A and B that there are people involved in that. I was driving last week i got to tell the story, Aaron. I was driving last week, coming down bypass and stop at the light, look over, and there's Aaron Turner in her fresh new ride. And she, I don't know what she's listened to, but man, it is hype. She is, I can't even, I don't even know what moves you were doing while you were sitting in your car, but you were having, you were, you were just, it, man, you were going. And I catch her attention. She catches my attention. She starts laughing. We roll the windows down. I said, hey, it sure looks like you're having a good time in there. She goes, I am. And then the light turned green, and boom, there she goes, and there I go. <laughs> but that so blessed my day, man, just to see you enjoying your moment. Enjoying your moment. But how many times, man, are we so quick to keep going? that we don't pause to see people beside us. And I'm not talking to anybody here. Again, this is all for me. I appreciate y'all coming to the sermon for the pastor today. And then lastly, oh my God, it's 11.50. Holy smokes. I went way too long. I'm so sorry, guys. I was supposed to be done like 10 minutes ago. I think this, this last point just kind of sums all this up. And, you, and it took me a minute to, for my mind to catch this, but it's, it's the, the characteristic of God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things is they live with wisdom. They live in wisdom. 
Here's what I mean by that. Is they did not let the extraordinary things go to their head. They didn't let these big wow things of God in the way God used them to go to their head. And here's what I mean by that. James tells us this, not our James, the James in the Bible, tells us this. In chapter 1, verse 5, says, If you need wisdom, ask God for it. Then in chapter 3, I love this. Roll with me as it's on the screen, verses 13 through 18. It says, If you consider yourself to be wise, and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life. Guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done. And you'll prove that you're truly wise. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom but can best be described as the wisdom of this world, both selfish and devilish. So, wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. But the wisdom from above is is always pure, filled with peace, considerate, and teachable. It is filled with love and never displays prejudice or hypocrisy in any form. And it always bears the beautiful harvest of righteousness. Good seeds of wisdom's fruit will be planted with peaceful acts by those who cherish James 3, verses 13 through 18, out of the Passion Translation. I've always prayed God used my life for the last 30 years. And He's used me in some extraordinary ways. But man, what it's like to live humble to live available to the Lord, to live full of the Holy Spirit, and to live with heavenly wisdom, those are the kind of acts that produce peace in our world. I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be a part of what God wants to do, not what man has created or wants to carry out. We've seen we make a mess of this world, but God makes miracles. I want to be a part of that. Anybody want to join me in being a part of that? I'm saying, who wants to say yes to the Lord? Use me. I want to be a part of that kind of movement. If you do, just stand, and then we're going to pray, and then James will close us out.